Welcome in to another edition of the European Soccer Betting Podcast on RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I am your host, Mackenzie Rivers, joined here by Griffin Warner. Griffin Real Betis did not quite get there, making us 0-1-1 as City pushed for our best bets last week. Back to the grind again this week. We'll go again for a 2-0. What would you make of the weekend's games? Yeah, less affable today, um, <laughs> I got to say. Uh, running joke, if you've been listening to us, because McKenzie likes to introduce himself as an affable host. When I win, yep. Yeah. Uh, well, so I, I, like, I try to watch all these games live, uh, or not live, but like I guess delayed, and I foolishly stumbled upon the score of the Real Betis match, and I was like, okay, I saw they're up 1-0. Uh, I guess it was like the perfect timing right before their t- go-ahead goal got rolled out for offside. And then, because I was watching it and I was like, okay, well, Atleti took the lead here. Uh, what the heck happened? Where was the 1-0 Betis part? Um, I-, I guess I should have recognized that. But uh, they fought all the way back from down 2-0, uh, got to 2-1, and then missed the header off the crossbar with uh, only a few minutes remaining. I think that would have gotten us in the door because there wasn't much time for Atleti to respond back. Uh, but I was fairly disappointed with how uh, Real Betis played that matchup. I mean, they tried to take that lead, but couldn't hold a run, and then were two behind pretty quickly. Um, I don't know. It's just shenanigans that involve Atletico Madrid, ultimately. But, um, you know, back to the grindstone, as you say, and uh, hopefully we'll have a better one this this week's podcast. Definitely. My best bet was Brighton, or I should say City, laying the two versus Brighton. Looked like I could have got there, but it didn't. It pushed. But let's talk about Brighton for a second because they again lose to City and they are now 0-3-2. Zero wins out of their five matches without their former manager, Graham Potter. Chelsea, his new team, they are now 3-0-2 with Potter. Zero losses in five games, three wins. And when it happened, the two teams are facing off this weekend before we get into this matchup i wanted to ask you i mean it's striking the results for each of these teams with and without graham potter what makes him so effective what has he brought to chelsea what did he bring with him what did he take with him away from brighton that makes him so effective in the epl it almost like matters who your manager is um (laughs) that he's not asleep on the on the sidelines um so i think graham potter i mean he had gotten a lot of respect from the english media uh, about being this savant as a manager. Um, Brighton never really had a ton of budget. They still don't, uh, but were usually much higher in the possession ranks across the English Premier League. They weren't playing in Europe and probably won't be <laughs> now that he's gone. But uh, I think that was what was the striking part of his game is he has a way that he plays where they can be on the ball a lot, which essentially takes your, dif- your defensive metrics and your just your defense in general up a notch from kind of what your personnel would look like, because when you have the ball, you're not defending against it as much. Now, a lot of teams try to get the ball, control the ball. Like I think of a Celta de Vigo in in Spain, where they try to have the ball the whole time. But the problem is when they lose it, they are in big, big trouble. What I think Graham Potter is, is best at is controlling the ball and somehow being safe enough with it, with what he's doing, whether how he's running players and kind of what I've figured out in, in watching soccer over the last few years um, on the level that I have, because I, I never really watched it as closely before. Um, it's when you have the ball, you are forcing your your opponent to run all over the place. And you essentially are much better at scoring against a tire defense than you are 
a rested one. So I, I think as long as you can avoid the the crippling turnovers that lead to quick counterattack, which is essentially Antonio Conte's strategy at Tottenham, which is I'll give you the ball, but when I get it, I'm going to run down the pitch with human son and no one can keep up with him and he's going to get a shot on goal or he's going to like cross it to, to Harry Kane and we're going to score a goal and then we'll just kill the clock until this happens again. Um, I think that's the the skill that Potter has. They can control the ball with lesser athletes, lesser players, lesser valued players, and yet they don't have as much risk because they hold the ball a lot and they're they're less apt to be counterattacked. That's awesome. It really speaks to a lot of what I've been reading as far as the analytics movement in soccer and the different evolutions. If you listen to a guy like Houston Rockets manager mention the NBA, cash your ticket, minus 140. He talked about soccer about five years ago, and his strategy was you want to punt it and chase it because you can't give up a breakaway if you don't have the ball in your own half. So just knock it over to the other half. And that was the prevailing wisdom with analytics. Back passes were think, thought of as evil, and but that was very, very rudimentary. Yes, you can't have a pack pass, back pass lead to a goal if it's not in your own half. However, what you're talking about, where tiring out the defenses and limiting your own defensive possessions is very valuable to a team. So teams started to look at guys like Pep Guardiola, who hates analytics, but they looked at his numbers, his passing numbers, his team success, and suddenly every team in the EPL became a little bit more like Barcelona. A little bit, I should say. Because their possession numbers went up, their short passes went up, and that was just the prevailing wisdom. Now, the third evolution, what you're saying is, yes, there's a lot of ancillary benefits to having possession there are some risks that Tottenham takes advantage of with their counter-attacking style but what Potter is effectively able to do is maximize the benefits of having possession while not exposing his team on the other side that makes a lot of sense to me and that that enlightens me uh how this team has been so effective because they really haven't given up many goals with whichever team he's with again only two goals given up in five games with Chelsea all right with that out of the way let's Get into this matchup, his old team and his new team. Looks like Chelsea is about a quarter goal on the Asian handicap, visiting Brighton over under two and a half, slightly shaded to the under. Again, Chelsea just doesn't give up goals under new manager Graham Potter. What do you make of this matchup? Any leans or bets that you're going to make? I'm actually really surprised um, by how much respect Brighton are getting in this one. I, I'm sure it's going to be an emotional day for Graham Potter. He's getting his check signed with this company and paying for his bill, child's education, and for all that sort of stuff. Um, but when it comes down to it and the whistle is blown, I feel like he's going to want to murder this team like he would any other. Um, and, and I guess what I'm kind of questioning is, is I was expecting Brighton to be a pretty sizable underdog because they've played so poorly uh, really ever since Grand Potter left. Um, and it seems like it kind of matters who their manager is. Um, they finally scored under Roberto Zerbi, but ultimately like they lost 3-1 as you had uh, – City minus two. Um, I want to say it was two nil Man City. Then Brighton's got one back and then City scored another. Um, yep, that's what happened. Yep. Yeah. Um, I just like, that's not really a, a good sign to me. And I feel like we're, we're thinking best case scenario here on Brighton is, is like, how are they going to score once? Is that, is that the best we can hope for? Cause Chelsea under Tuchel, I feel like for a while, Chelsea, the one thing you could trust about Chelsea is that they're going to defend to make it really hard for you to score. For a poor scoring team like Brighton, I feel like it's going to be even harder. Um, the emotion and all that sort of stuff, like the crowd's going to be big at the MX, but like that hasn't really fixed things. Like Graham Potter was great at possessing the ball, but they always had a big problem even while he was there to score. 
Um, now he's gone. I think that problem is going to get only get worse. Uh, and so when I see Chelsea, they were like last night when I was looking at this, they were a pick them. Um, Chelsea with, with almost all the juice or all of it and, and Brighton were getting odds on pick them, but still. So it's moved a little bit today towards Brighton getting a quarter, but I still feel like that's low. Um, as an underdog player, it's hard for me to recommend a favorite, but um, I certainly lean to the Chelsea side of, of the coin would be kind of hoping it moves back to that pick them range. Um, so we could push on a draw and, and lean under because I just don't think there's a lot of goal scoring in, on either of these teams. I tend to agree with you. In fact, I have my best bet lined up, but I'm starting to strongly consider making an amendment and making Chelsea my best bet. So you guys will tune into the end of the podcast and get my final decision. But I feel like a lot of Brighton's metrics, a lot of the Vegas market, the European soccer market appreciation of Brighton is really all manager based, all strategy tactics based, not the talent that they still have. They have this new offensive manager and they've scored one goal in a, in a you know, in a game that didn't matter down by two against city in the last four games. So maybe it's one, one, but I can't imagine Brighton outscoring Chelsea here. So strong lean to Chelsea. You can listen to the end of the podcast and hear what my best bet is on the night. Let's get out of England. We spent a lot of time in England. Let's venture on here in our European journey to Germany, where former Dortmund player, former World Cup winner, Mario Goetze is leading Frankfurt versus Dortmund this weekend. What do you make of this matchup? Uh, so two teams that are playing in Champions League, one Borussia Dortmund, uh, essentially they always are in that competition because they're one of the strongest teams in the Bundesliga. Um, whereas Eintracht Frankfurt have kind of come from a pretty tough uh, middle of the table type of position. I think they finished eighth last season and wouldn't even be in Champions League if they hadn't won the Europa League. Like what a crazy run that was, knocking out Barcelona in a, a two like two-legged knockout tie. I mean, that was pretty crazy. Um, and then seeing kind of how these two teams have started this year, uh, Borussia Dortmund essentially knew they had a really terrible defense last year. They tried to fix that. I'm not really sure much has been fixed. Um, they also, to me, I feel like their offense, when you lose a guy like Erling Holland, you kind of, uh, you go backwards a little bit offensively, efficiency metrics, things of that nature. Uh, and Frankfurt have a really good home crowd. So currently I'm looking at a, a line, uh, of, it's a pick em, but all the juice right now is on Borussia Dortmund and it's uh, offering a little bit of odds on Eintracht Frankfurt. I'm going to wait and hope that there's a lot of money that's going to flow in on the Dortmund side because Frankfurt to me are, they have a very defensive manager. They've added, I think because of their Champions League schedule, they added some talented players that are more offensive guys like Goltze, which is I think a little bit hard to really work him into the system. And I feel like he's essentially like the Christian Eriksen creative midfielder type but he has some really talented players in front of him in Lindstrom and also in a uh, Milani, who's just kind of came in from FC Nantes from France this year. Um, I feel like there's, for some reason, the, the marketplace in Germany has not really woken up to the skills that Frankfurt have offensively. And I feel like they're a better defense in Dortmund. So seeing them as an underdog at home, uh, waiting for that quarter to pop, but I, I'm very intrigued by that. It's two teams moving in the opposite direction. Look at last year, Dortmund second in the table. Obviously, Bayern win it. They win it every year almost. And Frankfurt 11th. And their expected goals says it was about that, what it should have been. Was Goetzal on the team last year? Or what uh, What 
is your explanation for how much better Frankfurt has been uh, versus preseason expectations. So thank you for the correction. I thought they were eighth, but 11th sounds more like it and sounds way worse. <laughs> Ultimately, like <laughs> there's only 18 teams in Germany. So not even finishing top half is saying something. Uh, Goza came in, I believe, from PSV Eindhoven after the end of the last season. And what so they essentially Colomani was a huge part of FC Nantes winning the Coupe de France and getting uh, a bid to the Europa League as like an automatic bid as if you're winning your conference tournament in college basketball. Um, but he, his, like, they were not really sure not if they were going to even stay in the league. They had to fight to stay in it, won a relegation playoff two seasons ago. Um, so they weren't really ready to re-up contracts or anything like that. And he actually left on a free transfer this summer. So that's part of why Nalt are they're probably like crying every day about this guy because they could they what they should have done was sold him and got a ton of money, um, but they didn't do that as they were like hoping they could re-sign him couldn't. Um, Frankfurt jumped on it. Credit to them. Uh, they brought in Goza. Uh, they signed Kolomani, which was I think done pretty quickly, pretty early in the season. So like that was happening, and I think Goza was more of like kind of the the makeup you add at the end before you're going out. I, I don't know if either of you or I will understand that, but uh, that's my thought. <laughs> is that Frankfurt, when they're trying to look as pretty as possible for the champions league, they're like, Oh, let's, let's grab the, uh, the prodigal son back from, from Holland to come in here and, and really try to score some goals for us. You mentioned Dortmund worse defensively Frankfurt, much better offensively than they were last year. What do you think about this total two and a half heavy juice on the over? You could probably get flat juice, over three. What do you make of the total here? Any lean or like here? Yeah, I mean, anytime Dortmund's involved, I think if there's a Borussia involved, especially the Dortmund version, I think you got to lean over. Um, soccer's tough because there's no overtime. You can't get bailed out by something like that. There's a reason why they don't call it undertime. But um, <laughs> I think it, ultimately, Frankfurt's manager, Oliver Glossner, is comes from Wolfsburg previously um, when basically every German manager switched clubs. It seemed one, one season, jumping from one to the next. Um, but he hasn't really played us defensively with this team. Um, they came off, both of them played midweek. Dortmund struggling for a nil-nil draw with Man City, which was awesome, but I think also is about the, the maximum they could ever deliver defensively. So they should be uh, reverting back to the giving up goals mean. And I think Frankfurt are, are a team that could really cause them some trouble, um, even a, a regular defense, not one that has so many problems like the Dortmund one does. That's an interesting question I got I to gotta answer for myself, which is when a team plays midweek, generally, because it happens a lot, is there more goals or less goals on their weekend game? My instinct is more goals, is that their defense suffers more than their offense. But you know what? That's what databases are for. Currently, I only have um, weekend games, league games in the database, but uh, I will venture this weekend to add midweek games, and then I'll tell you what my results find. Let's go to another country. Two more teams that are vying for second place in a pretty one-sided league with PSG at the top of France. Lyon face Lille this weekend. What do you make of this matchup? Lille, the last team to win League One besides PSG. I'm guessing they don't have much of a chance to repeat that beat this year. Uh, PSG has kind of been hanging around the, um, how do I say, the the rest of the, the crew in, in League One. I mean, ultimately, PSG. They've been slumping gonna, it. They've been, they're yeah, gonna, you know. They're going to separate. They're going to win it. But, like, it's a little bit surprising to me to see kind of how PSG aren't. Uh, I mean, they, I essentially last season, they had almost won this competition by now. Um, Marseille have, have were initially really challenging them, but have lost three in a row since. So I think it's the time of the year where PSG are going to start extending their lead because they're just 
they 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 win too many games and the rest of it's kind of like a Bundesliga thing where Bayern win a bunch of games and the rest of the team just screw up and, and lose to each other. Um, I think that's going to be the same scenario here. Uh, but for these two teams, so Lille, they've essentially won Ligue 1, and I think we're having some financial troubles, but um, somehow won the league and then... So let me set up the matchup. Let me set up the matchup real quick. So Lyon's hosting Lille. Lyon's about a quarter goal favorite over under three. What do you make of the matchup? So I lean to the underdog. I, I like Lille because they essentially were left for dead after winning league. Uh, they sold off a bunch of players, a bunch of assets. Their manager bolted for Nice, who wasn't any better. They were in a much worse state, but they had a new owner that had some money. And I think he saw the, the he read the tea leaves and saw that Lille were going to be selling everything they had. Um Somehow the talent evaluators at Lille have done really well and they are back in. I mean, maybe it's because it's a lower league of the top five that potentially it's a little bit easier to jump start. but they've got a lot of young players that have been firing. Uh, they kept the Canadian national team as we get prepared for the World Cup coming up. They still have their him as their striker, uh, like the best scorer on the Canadian national team. And fr- from where I sit with Lille, they, um, they have a very mature defense. They have like one of the oldest center backs in the game and Jose Font, a Portuguese international from, I think he's like 38 years old, but around him, they've got a lot of youth and a lot of talent. And I think that means a lot for who Lille are now for Lyon. They're one of the most traditional French clubs. Uh, they basically fire a manager every year or sack a manager, I guess if I'm using soccer or football terms, uh, but they usually sack a manager every year because they're never living up to their expectations of getting back to the glory days where they're winning all the time. I believe Kareem Benzema came from Lyon, uh, plenty of other players like Ndombele, who, who spent some time in, in Tottenham and then is now back um, in France. It's just like Lille to me are the younger team that have a little bit less luster on their franchise or their club organization. Whereas Lyon have the respect of the marketplace, the expectations, but they just don't have a defense to speak of. They haven't for a very long time. They just sacked their manager because they were playing all offense and weren't really getting too much done there. And I feel like now the transition to playing more defensively as a favorite just doesn't really fit them in this scenario. Do you think they're going to respond to having a new coach that, uh, that you know, fired coach bump? You see that at all for Leon? I, you do, but um, it's been a couple weeks, so it's not immediate. And I feel like they've had some decent results of late, but I feel like they were more fortunate than deserved. Um, like late penalties always seem to fall to favorites in this sport. It drives me insane. But uh, they got one of those last weekend against Montpellier and then gave up a late goal to lose to Ren on the road. So, so like, it hasn't exactly been a, uh, I mean, they haven't won in their last four matches and they've only had one draw in, in the three of those four. So um, they're kind of limping along. Um, the expectations are always, it's like they're running with a piano behind them, I got to say. Um, so I, I like the I like the chances for Leal at a quarter and it might even close a half before this match kicks off. Running with a piano behind them. That's an interesting image. I don't think I've heard that one. This makes sense. This makes sense to me that they get it. They, they get a dead calf bounce maybe after the first game, but it's been four losses in a row now or four out of five. And, uh, you know, you already get that adrenaline bump when, all right, my job's on the line, new coach, everyone's going to be evaluating me every day with a new level of intensity that wears off after a couple of games. And that is the portion where I think Leona's in right now. You mentioned in pre-production that Leo kind of, after they won the league, sold off all their players uh, and have been able to scout their way back into contention who are one or two players uh, that they've brought on that have really beaten expectations that we should look out for? 
I think the the craziest part about it is honestly, it's it's like everyone. Um, it, it seems to be a different person at all times. Which I mean, if you're thinking about it and you're trying to scout a team, um, you probably want to have a good idea of of who you should really be going after. Uh, Jonathan David has been the best, I think, goal scorer for for Lille, but. Um, I didn't even remember. I, I don't I'm not even sure who this Cabela guy was last last week. He scored two goals against Monaco. That was kind of out of left field. Um, they have a, a Gomez Gomez uh, midfield right now, which is funny. They started against Monaco. Uh, yeah. I guess they don't like throwing first names out there. But uh, Adam <laughs> Unas, number eleven, was really good for him and has. It, it's essentially it's it's a different person every week, and I don't know if that's because the other teams in in France basically see a really good performance and try to say I'm not letting that guy beat me type thing. Um, but they have the the striker that they can trust up front. And I think it just seems to be some creator that's either delivering or taking a pass and scoring it and slotting it in a bottom corner that just seems to make it really hard to defend them. And I think that's why they've been so surprising because they even brought in one of the biggest signings, I think. So they have Timothy Weah, uh, who's been around. He's a, a United States international uh, who's getting healthier, but has been pretty banged up to start the year. Um, he's been kind of off to the side, but Mohamed Bayo is one of the best goal scorers last season in, in uh, Liga. And they brought him in, and he's not even really playing a huge role just yet. So I feel like the future is even brighter from a, a manager named Paulo Falseca, who came uh, most recently from Shakhtar Donetsk, but also was at Roma and, and had some kind of big, big scalps or big clubs that he managed before. So I think it's a, a confluence of events. They got some young talent that came in. They've got some holdovers that they were like not willing to sell because like we need this guy to build. And then they've got a good manager that's just putting him in the right path to, to succeed. Kind of reminds me of Leicester City. Remember, if, if you would have asked somebody, you know, Leicester City's leading the EPL. Obviously, they're not going to win it. They have zero chance of doing that. But who are one or, you, one or two young players from Leicester City in 2016 that you think are beating expectations? You'll be like, okay, well, Joey Vardy, Mares. Conte, these like three like all-star, all-pro players that were on a team that nobody ever heard of the year before. So sometimes that happens all at once, you know, where they just get a good generation of players all reaching their peak at the same time. And uh, before they sell them, they can be a pretty good team. So Lille, major up arrow next to their name. All right, duly noted. Yeah, I think uh, Joey Vardy is Jamie Vardy's little brother, maybe older brother. I'm not sure. Um you did, did I, you did. did I, I'm not, I don't know him, but okay. uh, Jamie Vardy's been pretty legit. And then those other ones you mentioned, I mean, Leicester essentially got pillaged. And that's what happens with good young teams, especially ones that surprise and win the uh, Premier League. It's the biggest shock result of like our history, gambling history, it feels like on this planet. Um, it seems like everyone gets raided. All the good players go to other places, which you could say the same thing happened to Lille, really. Um, and that's p- kind of part of the game. It's the nature of the beast. The sad part in American sport, since they have salary caps and things of that nature, you can usually keep people around and keep that dynasty going. But in international football, they're going to eventually all go to Juventus or to PSG or something of that nature. And then that's why the upsets are even more entertaining because uh, it's, it's great to see the really rich teams just struggling. The cycle keeps spinning on but let's be part of that cycle in a profitable way shall we together and here's how you're going to do that you're going to save some money on pregame.com where the best handicappers in the world reside i kid you not we have an nhl guy right now scott seidenberg 20 and 5 steve fezzik you might have heard of him probably the best documented most successful over a long period of time nfl handicapper out there you got my man griffin warner giving you baseball plays you got me mackenzie rivers giving you NBA plays. Save 20% off anything on the website using the promo code CARD20. 
not yellow card, not red card, just C-A-R-D, two zero, card 20. Save 20% off anything on the site, and uh, it helps us out. People listening, people engaging with the European Soccer Betting Podcast definitely helps us out. If you use that promo code, save 20% off, card 20. All right, without further ado, let's get into my best bet, and followed by Griffin Warners. I'm going to make a pivot. I'm going to make a pivot. As we went on, I decided to change my best bet. Now I'm going to pick Chelsea, and I'm going to do the draw no bet. So if it's a draw, you get your money back. It's a push. Essentially pick them. Minus 145. I feel like Brighton, a lot of these numbers are based on analytics that take on you know their last rolling 20 games or whatever. But get a little bit of last year, heavily more heavily weighted to last year. As I get into numbers, I see how these power ratings are make, are made without any reference to who the players are, who the coaches, and usually they're surprisingly accurate. Sometimes, though, those numbers are based on a situation that's just no longer the case. And in this case, the numbers are glaring. Graham Potter, 8-1-3 on the season. He was 5-1-1 one, one with Brighton. So seven games, they won five, only lost one. The last five without that man in charge, Graham Potter in charge, they've won zero and lost three. I feel like the market hasn't fully caught up to how much better Chelsea is and how much Brighton is. So it's really a one variable handicap. This coaching change is not caught up by the market. And that's where I'll take Chelsea minus 145 on the road at Brighton. Draw no bet. If Chelsea wins, we win. If Chelsea loses, we lose. Draw no bet. Chelsea minus 145. I'll take the reins uh, like it as, as we went through this already. Uh, glad to close and tie off that, that game we talked about at the beginning of the pod. Hopefully people can win something off that. Without further ado, I'm going Rio Vallecano in Spain. Uh, they're a half a goal underdog at Sevilla. Uh, Sevilla, just not really a Champions League caliber team. They sold off too many players. Their manager left. They've got a lot of a lot of issues. I think they're in a rebuild. Um, but ultimately, they had to play midweek at home, which is a little bit, could be a lot worse if they had to travel to Copenhagen. But ultimately, having to play midweek, tired, more tired legs, I think it speaks to... When you're having to create um, almost exclusively, I think Sevilla are going to have trouble against a Rio Vallecano team that like to sit in and counterattack. The problem is that when Sevilla turn the ball over, they've always been a possession side. But when they turn the ball over, Rio are lightning fast. And that's essentially how they've stayed in the league last year. We're around the European places as we entered into like the Christmas period last year. Um, And so they're built, they're primed and ready, and they are going to get a Sevilla team that looks like they might be a little winded. So they're really trying hard to uh, keep their possibility of qualifying for the Europa League going midweek. Uh, I think it's a perfect situation for Rio to uh, get Sevilla to cough the ball up a couple times, use their little guys to run as fast as they can down the wing, cross in the middle and, and put one past the keeper. Uh, and so I'm taking Rio Viacano getting half of a goal on the road at Sevilla. That makes a lot of sense to me. In general, we see the best teams in Europe play the most games and they have the deepest teams, Bayern, Chelsea, Barcelona. But when you have a mid-tier team, that's just good enough to make the Champions League. Sevilla was fourth in La Liga, but then they get a lot worse. They still have that top-tier schedule, but without the talent to back it up. So it makes sense that Sevilla would be overvalued here, a good fade here, and you're going to take Rio Vallecone plus the half goal. I like that best bet. I'm going to go with Chelsea, minus 145 on the money line, draw no bet. And those will be our best bets for the European Soccer Betting Podcast. Thanks for listening. Check us out next week. And do me a favor. Use that promo code CARD20. I would really appreciate it. Without further ado, we will check you next week. This has been the European Soccer Betting Podcast on RJ Bell's Dream Preview.